Welcome to Imperfect Momming. Our children are constantly looking to us for examples. The term role model doesn't quite cut it here. We are shaping their worldview with every move we make. You see, it's not in the lectures we give or moments where we are actively attempting to teach them. It's in the micro movements we make, the unconscious ways in which we navigate life. We are constantly teaching our children how to show up for themselves, their friends, their future partners, and even their future children. So what can we do to ensure we are raising thoughtful, compassionate, self-aware human beings? We have to become them ourselves. No one is perfect, but we can still all be better, and it starts with self-healing. Let's get to it. Welcome back to Imperfect Momming, and we have a very special guest today, Dr. Tara Egan. Welcome to Imperfect Momming. Thank you so much. I just love your podcast name. Thank you. I appreciate that. I was really kind of nervous about it. I had a couple of other options. I thought for sure somebody else was already using this name. And uh, there is somebody on Instagram who's Imperfect Momming, um, which is not me. Uh, <laughs> I'm at Mom Support Coach on Instagram. So there okay. I am myself. <laughs> well, I will make sure that we're connected on Instagram because mine is just Dr. No, mine is Dr. Egan and Anna. Because the podcast that I host, One Day You'll Thank Me, I co-host with my daughter, Anna. Uh So it's Dr. Egan and Anna. So there's like a million A's in it. Um, Definitely going to have to check out your podcast because I love the, I I love what I think the topic is. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We talk about a lot of different parenting topics and we talk to a lot of experts. And then my daughter, who's a teenager, offers her teen perspective so yeah, it's, it's great. And it's super fun to do it with her. I love that. Cause we've, we, I mean, what, what parent hasn't said one day you'll thank me to their kid. And <laughs> for sure. Right. Okay. Well, I'm so we're waiting, right. <laughs> You're waiting for the thank you. And that's your topic. That's hysterical. <laughs> yep. All right. Perfect. So tell our listeners who you are. Okay. Well, once again, my name is Dr. Tara Egan, and I am a um, counselor. I'm a therapist. I used to be a school psychologist, and that's what my doctorate is in. And I used to work in public schools and support kids who are struggling with any kind of learning or behavioral or social issue in school. Hmm. But about 10 years ago, I moved to private practice, and now I have a practice located in Charlotte, um, Charlotte, North Carolina, called, um, called Charlotte Parent Coaching. And then I also have kind of a a subset of that that's just drterryegan.com and where I offer parent coaching services. And that's where families can access, you know, my books and my online courses and take advantage of public speaking opportunities. So I really like to have a lot of variety in how I support families, but I primarily work with families who are either going through separation or divorce or they have kids who are just struggling behaviorally. So it might be kids who are showing disrespect, refusal behavior, maybe some aggression where parents feel like they're having power struggles. And so if you have a child who's struggling with those things, and then you're going through a separation or divorce on top of it, um, which adds a whole new dynamic, I'm kind of your girl for that. Right. And I really liked the idea of, of discussing divorce and separation with kids because A, we haven't had anybody <laughs> uh, with this topic yet. 
And it's something that I went through um, as a child and as a, as an adult uh, with my son. And oddly enough, we were about the same age um, when, uh, when my parents got divorced and when I got divorced with my son. So um, it's, it's definitely a topic that is near and dear to my heart. And so, um, we'll take it away from there. Yeah. It's, it's super relatable. My parents were married up until my parents passed away, mm-hmm. but I went through a divorce about 11 years ago. You know, I have two children. I'm remarried now and have stepchildren. So I have that experience of going through really a quite high conflict divorce And then also, you know, forming a new family and having to manage just blending two to two families. So I feel really um, kind of invested in making that process easier for families whenever possible. Yeah. I really loved the idea, theoretically, of having a blended family where my partner had someone, had a child, and then my son wouldn't be an only child. And then I didn't actually have to... Uh, have more than one myself. (laughs) Um, And then when I was in that situation, it was actually more difficult for me because of the dynamic between um, my partner and his ex and Mm. the way that the, the control, the legal control that she had um, that he didn't and how that affected me because I felt like I couldn't be part of a child's life and love this child and have zero say Mm. in how they were raised. When I saw so many things wrong, I mean, she was five years old and not talking and Mm. wetting the bed. And we learned all the time. And we learned that she wet the bed because someone told her, don't get out of bed until there's an adult up. And it was just like, ah, what? (laughs) Yeah. So she was just such a good listener and follower of the rules and she's wetting the bed and, and, and I, and, and she wasn't in school and I had zero say in any of this stuff. And I was like, I just can't, (laughs) I'm sorry. Well, and and a lot of parents and step parents have to know what their limits are. Yeah. And, you know, are you going to be comfortable living in a space where you love a child and want what's best for them, but don't have decision-making in most things, you know, don't have the ability to interact necessarily in a meaningful way with your partner's ex. I mean, sometimes it happens where everybody can work as a team, but a lot of times it doesn't. And, you know, as step-parents, you kind of have to walk the line between like staying in your lane and recognizing you're not this child's parent, regardless of how you feel about them as, as, you know, a, a caretaker or, you know, a member of your family and in balancing that stay in your lane attitude with, hey, this is a member of my household and I want to have the authority to whatever, make rules or create traditions or have a different communication style. And so sometimes families can work it out and other times they can't. And knowing your limit or boundary with that is really important. Yeah. Yeah. And who I was back then, like if I, if the situation if who I am now was experiencing that back then, I think that there would have been a totally different um, reaction and it, the relationship might've worked, but I, there was, there were a lot of triggers for me um, where, you know, I, I never really felt accepted by my stepdad 
Um, it's a point of contention in our relationship still to this day where I just, I, I felt like the other, even though he accepted my, my brothers, like his own, I always Mm. felt like the outsider and, um, of course is my perspective. So nobody get mad at me for (laughs) in my family, everybody knows how that about all of that. But, um, in that relationship, that wound was getting triggered because Mm. he was the only time this boyfriend and I ever fought was over my son. And that was the only time my mom and my stepdad had ever fought. And it was like, I, I, I haven't healed this wound yet. (laughs) And so I can't deal with this wound and I'm not going to inflict it on my son, Mm -hmm. you know, because I'm aware (laughs) of this happening and how it felt. And, and that's how I was parenting is like, I'm going to try to avoid the triggers that I have. Um, And as I've healed all of those things, I'm, I parent differently, which is the, the point of this podcast. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, different stages in our life, you know, as far as when we're younger or our experience with being a parent, you know, now I have teenagers Mm -hmm. and had I, you know, had the same, um, life experiences and meeting my second husband and his children. And maybe I didn't have the experience as a parent that I do now, that I do now, like I might've approached it differently. And so I think with my husband, you know, he came along at the right time. Mm-hmm. And if he had come along at a different time, maybe it wouldn't have worked. I'm not sure. Yeah. But that stuff matters. Yeah. Is there a piece of advice that you have for a person going through a separation or divorce. Um, I usually ask for advice at the end, but I think that this is, you know, and maybe it's not something that you can just give a blanket advice. Oh, no, I can. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, there's all these different factors and variables. Yeah. That I'm, go ahead with what advice. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely some general sort of best practices that we know that are pretty well researched and, you know, we see that there can be like a universal benefit. Mm-hmm. So when families start the process of going through separation or divorce, one of the best ways you can protect your kids is to do your best in keeping their routine. Yeah. So if they're on a soccer team, if they're going to a certain school, if they have a best friend that they're used to having playdates with, if they go and see grandma on Sundays for a family dinner you know, for them to be able to maintain as much of their typical routine as possible mm-hmm. is beneficial. And sometimes that can't happen. Sometimes, you know, one parent's fleeing with their kids or their financial circumstances have significantly changed or they need to move to a different location. Um, sometimes there can be a separation within the family, like the extended family where there'll be, you know, somebody taking sides and things like that. Mm-hmm. So I certainly don't want to shame parents who can't keep a routine, but if they can Right. You know, if it's something that they are able to maintain and whether it's managing their time or budget or getting support from additional resources, like a friend being able to take your child to soccer practice, you know, if that's possible to do that, because kids really um, thrive on consistency Consistency. and knowing what to expect. And sometimes kids will ask questions like, um, you know, are you guys going to stay married or is daddy ever going to live with us? And initially you might not have an answer to those questions and it's okay to say, honey, I don't know. 
But to be able to say, yeah, you're definitely going to your soccer game on Saturday, or you're going to see grandma and grandpa on Sunday, like you always do, those things can be really reassuring to kids Mm -hmm. and provide a sense of stability, even though there's some aspects of their life that are uncertain right now. Um, And that's definitely one main recommendation. And I would think that your love for your child can be if nothing else, the consistent factor, right? And how you show up for them, just keep doing what you've always done as far as being present with them is another form of stability. It is, but in, in during the initial weeks and months into a separation, oftentimes I see parents where they're struggling with like concentration, they're feeling overwhelmed with some of the decisions they have to make. Um, when they're with their children, they typically, you know, are by themselves, like without their co-parents, you know, living in the same house or, or navigating um, parenting moments. And so that can really cause that parent to feel like discombobulated. And that's natural. Yeah. It's part of the process. Um, and so, of course, you want your kids to always feel that same love and support. But sometimes in those first few weeks, it is hard to remain present when you're trying, oh, now mom's got to get a different job or, you know, they're on the phone with a lawyer or a mediator or they're getting calls from their, you know, ex-partner's family who's like blaming or judging or something like that. Or there's a friendship that could change because the, the parents are no longer together. So that reality is there. You know, most people don't, aren't able to slide seamlessly into single parenthood, even if they know that this is what the best choice is and they know this ultimately healthy and there's a sense of relief over not having to manage the emotions of an ex-partner or deal with their, whatever, the unhealthy aspects of their relationship. But it's just, there's grief and there's, um, you know, readjustment that's going to happen. And that's going to throw you off your game a little bit. You know, and you got to forgive yourself for those moments and harness the moments that are really good, whether it's snuggling with your kid at bedtime and reading that story for 15, 20 minutes and just really being present Mm -hmm. or um, giving yourself permission to have a sitter for a couple hours on a Saturday so you can catch up with work. So then when you join your kids for dinner, you actually, you know, have the concentration to be with them. Um, but yeah, those first few weeks really do a number on parents, um, like psyche and concentration. Yeah. And, and I, I can attest to this, even though, I mean, I've told my story about going through, uh, my divorce and just, I was what I call in the pit of despair mm-hmm. <laughs> for any of those grief. fans. Um, but I was in the pit of despair at leaving my son's dad and, so there was massive disruption back then. And, but even now, like, you know, we, we, I've talked about this on the last couple of podcast episodes that we got a puppy and there's a little shift of I'm waking up at six <laughs> instead of six forty-five, And it had to happen like that because it wasn't a, we weren't prepared for the dog. He just kind of showed up. I, I have, defaulted back to old programming of I'm tired, I'm snappy, I'm, I, I'm not as patient. And that's a little just 45 minutes less sleep. Mm-hmm. And there's not even an emotional component to it. It's just 
45 minutes sleep. So like we have these routines that we're in and being married or being in a relationship with somebody as part of your routine. And now that's taken away, there's going to be an adjustment period and there has to be grace. But like you said, take some intentional time of this is what I'm going to do with my child so that they don't feel like they've lost me in addition Mm. to dad. Well, I think one of the ways that kids feel the loss of their parent is when the parent is walking around angry, resentful, maybe saying something negative about the other parent, um, giving off the impression of, I don't know what to do. This is so hard. Um, you know, maybe mentioning financial strains um, in, in a place where kids can overhear it, having, you know, that, that parent, um, like rant or do a lot of crying and things. And I'm okay with, of course, parents should show emotion around kids, but there's a difference in being crying because, you know, grandma's sick and we're worried about her and crying because, you know, your dad's such a jerk and he did this to us. Mm -hmm. And so some of those adult Mm -hmm. emotions, we do have to try to protect kids from because it's to their detriment to see their parent really become unglued. And it doesn't mean that there isn't a time and a space for parents to get the nurturing they need to have that venting time or to feel those feelings, like you said, of despair. But um, when all of it is super transparent to kids, it can be very, very stressful and they're powerless in this situation. You know, it's not like they can do something to improve your finances, but them knowing that there's distress there is just putting a layer, you know, burden on them that they have no control over. So I think that that can be a really tough thing for parents to um, separate out what's kid-friendly information that's just kind of a, a reality to say to your kid, you know, listen, buddy, we might not be able to do all the soccer practices because sometimes mom's not going to get home in time. That's reality, you know, versus um, falling apart at because dinner was burned and gosh, darn it, your dad should have been here because he's the one who knows how to use the grill. Right. So those are not the same thing. And it can be really hard. And there's times where parents really navigate that well, and then they can have a moment that they're not super proud of later. That happens, you know, we got to move on. But, um, you know, we want we want kids to be protected. Right. And I I think that for me, one of the most important things inside of a separation or divorce from uh, your child's parent, other parent, is not to say anything bad about them. Because especially I have a son, anything that I'm saying about his dad, he's going to identify with because we identify with our same sex parents. And then we want to grow up and marry our opposite sex parent, right? We want to have that relationship. And so, um, which terrified me on both (laughs) accounts, you know, as I, when I became a mom, I was like, well, I don't want him to be like his dad. And I definitely don't want him marrying someone like me. And that was a huge catalyst for, for my change. Um, But even though I have, not the best relationship with his dad, I don't ever say anything negative about his dad to him, around him, anywhere near him, because I don't want him taking that on. 
Mm-hmm. And he knows that the, a big reason that we split up was because he and I fought all the time. And at first we were saying, we didn't want you growing up in that, but who's that placing the blame on? Well, I think that divorce is actually a lot less confusing to kids when they've seen their parents have a lot of discord. Mm -hmm. So if mom and dad are fighting, there's a lot of tension and stress, yelling, things like that. And then parents can say to their kids, like, we've decided not to live in the same house because it's stressful and we're doing a lot of yelling. Yeah, That makes sense to kids. And oftentimes there's a sense of relief. Mm. When kids get really confused is when, from their perspective, they didn't see discord. You know, maybe parents weren't affectionate or maybe they didn't do a lot of activities together or, you know, there was kind of some disconnect, but the kids routine was maintained. The, the parents were respectful to each other within the, within the presence of the child and that those, that child felt loved. Like for them, it's kind of like, what? Like you're saying that it's so incompatible. You're so incompatible that we can't all live in the same house. Like that's actually more confusing to kids. And I'm not implying that parents should start arguing. So it makes (laughs) sense to their kids. But the reality is, you know, in your process of protecting your kids from your, your disconnect, you know, they, they don't have that same sense of like, Oh my goodness, finally we have a peaceful evening without mom and dad yelling at each other. But to acknowledge to your kid and say, we were arguing too much. I don't think it's placing the blame on anyone except the parents struggling in their dynamic, which is perfectly appropriate to acknowledge versus, well, your dad is always so grouchy and your dad yells over everything and he couldn't live here anymore because he's so negative and angry. Like that's blaming dad and putting uh, the responsibility solely on him versus we're not getting along. We disagree and it's stressful for our family and we wanted something different. For you. Yeah. Well, my son didn't experience any of our arguing because he was only, you know, 14 months old. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah. so it was in the past that, you know, we're exp- I'm explaining to him like, and I, I boiled it down to that. I wasn't happy mm-hmm. and that I had to take responsibility for my happiness and um, and I wanted him to have a happy mom, you know, and mm-hmm. I, and which is all true. All of that is true. Um, yeah. there were, and there were other factors that he's not old enough to know about, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, you know, our kids do need a ve- that veil of distance, but there also needs to be communication too. So answering their questions, but not always being a hundred percent, like, let me give you all the nitty gritty details. Yeah. And a lot of parents will justify overstepping, like where they're starting to communicate about adult issues with their kids by saying, but I wanted them to know the truth. I wanted them. So they'll tell their, you know, seven-year-old, well, mom or dad cheated on me and they were unfaithful. And it's like, no seven-year-old ever needs to know that, you know, like all you're doing is take, giving them a developmentally inappropriate piece of information. And, um, you know, their that parent's role as that child's parent, you know, like you can be a decent dad, but be a lousy spouse, or you can be a decent mom and not have been a great spouse to that parent. And, but the kid doesn't need to have that 
drag, you know, they don't need to be dragged into that. So sometimes parents will be like, well, I wanted my son to know how unfaithful their dad is. So they won't make those mistakes. I'm like, "Mm, they're not going to learn that lesson when they're seven years old. And, you know, that's a conversation that either never needs to happen or happens when that child is much closer to adulthood. I don't think they even really grasp the, you know, romantic (laughs) relationships at seven. That's not, that is not developmentally appropriate. Yeah. Yeah. Or just what the, like the ethical boundaries are within a relationship, like what it means to honor a commitment or what faithfulness is defined as within that relationship. Right. Cause not every couple defines it the same way anyway. Right. So um, it's just, it's just not developmentally appropriate. I love these kinds of conversations. These are, these are my favorite just to, to, I don't know. I just love it. (laughs) Well, it's, I feel like there is a real opportunity for parents out there to not feel so alone. You know, because I feel like divorce, especially in those initial stages, is really isolating. Mm-hmm. And if your kid is really struggling, especially if it's beyond the like typical struggles we see with divorce, you know, maybe your child has, you know, a mental health diagnosis or they're really, you know, struggling in school or just something that is like an extra layer of um, support that that child might need. Like these are parents who often feel very alone. And if they have a conflicted relationship with their ex, it's like, not only do they feel like they're single parenting, but they actually feel like their co-parent is sabotaging the process. Mm. So it's not like, oh, I'm just on my own and I need to do my best, but I'm trying to do my best with an ex who's resisting me every step of the way, Mm -hmm. which makes it even harder and more lonely. So I always, it's totally my experience. Yeah, like I think a lot of us, because even if it's not a chronically high conflict relationship, most of the time when parents are separating divorce or divorcing, like there's going to at least be moments or periods of time where there's significant disconnect. Some parents never work it out. They never improve their relationship. Others, they go through bouts of really struggling and then kind of things smooth out over time. Yeah, But you don't really know what's going to happen in the moment. And it's always been my goal since we split to be able to co-parent like it's been, but I think even my definition of co-parenting was that he does what I want him to do unrealistic. And I, I just realized one day recently, very, very recently that I was mad. I, I would get mad every time he would do something that was different than the way I would do it. So I was essentially getting mad that he wasn't me. Yeah. And <laughs> Well, like, he's not me. He's not going to ever be me. He's probably, he's going to make decisions that he feels are right in the moment. And, you know, I can request that he does different things, but ultimately he's his, his own person. It's not going to be well received if I request it to be differently anyway. So it's just, I have to do what I feel is right for our child while he's with me. And then his dad's going to do the same. And you know, give a, you know, offer a a different opinion. You know, a lot of it's, a lot of it is the mindset that his dad has that, that is, um, that I disagree with, that I would want to protect my son from (laughs) is ultimately where. Well, and that's where, you know, someone like me, like whether a family is working with me in like as in the therapy capacity, or they're doing more of the parent coaching model, 
is figuring out, you know, what to prioritize, right? Because like if your ex, I don't know, feeds them a lot of mac and cheese and that's not your style, but there's some parents who are going to court over those kinds of things. Hmm. Um, Or it's something really significant. Like there's, you know, a child who's showing uh, technology or substance abuse addiction, or there's a significant mental health thing, or this child is failing out of school or something that is, you know, just a much bigger ticket item. And those situations, like if you need support from an experienced clinician who is going to know how to navigate and honor the two different parenting styles, like in, in the work that I do, as much as you hear, we hear all the time, parents have to be consistent. They have to have the same rules in each house. Sure, that's great. I mean, that is, that is a, a great thing to aspire to. But the reality is sometimes the routines and the rules are going to be different. And for many kids, they can learn how to navigate both houses, even if they're a little different. I mean, you think of your kid who's a middle schooler and they have an English teacher who's like really laid back and lets them call out and, um, you know, they sit where they want in the classroom and deadlines are kind of like a suggestion. And then you have the other teacher who's super militant and like everything needs to be, you know, structured. And you know what? Kids tend to just adjust when they're in this class, they turn things in on time. And when they're in this other class, it's more of a free spirited environment. And like a lot of kids just rise to the occasion based on what that environment is. So a lot of kids can do that with their parents too, where they're like, Hey, you know, maybe dad's a little bit more lenient about bedtime or nutrition. Maybe mom's a little more strict on technology or or homework completion. And they just kind of work it out in each household. And, And sometimes it doesn't work. And that's where someone like me can be pretty helpful. The type of model I do, especially if I'm close enough to have contact with the family, like actually see the kids in person, is I do an observation, I, whether it's at school, whether it's in the parents' homes, and just get to know their personality, how they communicate, are they on track developmentally, what's their communication ability, their emotional intelligence. And then when I work with the parents and as, you know, as co-parents and we try to come up with what things we want them to agree on, they feel more invested in my recommendations because they know I know their child. Mm-hmm. It's not just a general, hey, this is what might be good for kids generally. But like, I know your daughter. I know that she can be stubborn or I know that she is sensitive or I know how smart she is. And so we need to factor that in when we think about how to approach her as far as consequences, communication style, you know, helping her navigate the social world. So a lot of times we can get through some of the most, like the significant hurdles by having that third party. And there's some families I work with three, four sessions, we get on the same page and they move on. In other families, we do like a meeting once a month for two years and get them through, you know, all of middle school. So we can keep the conflict low and both parents' parenting style can be honored. So everything you just said was uh, really actually kind of exciting to me. I was like, oh, that sounds amazing. And I, I mean, how, what better way to, to co-parent, especially if it's something that it's actually causing problems, you know, in, in, with you creating, you know, issues with your piece, like 
spending some time going to someone who's an expert like Tara and, um, and getting these pieces in alignment where, you know, just having support is kind of what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Um, having support where you have the outside perspective of, is this really important? You know, like there's certain things that, that just had me enraged that he did. And, you know, and, and over, it's probably not even that big a deal. Like I'll look back and think, yeah, maybe I was justified. I probably overreacted. Like I didn't appreciate that, you know, he left a six-year-old home alone it was for 15 minutes. So, you know, and he was fine. Like I didn't have to get that crazy (laughs) as crazy as I got, you know, but um, there were things like, don't tell mom that he was, (laughs) he would say, don't tell mom. And I'm like, okay, number one, that doesn't work. He tells me everything. And number two, I want him to tell me everything because. And and that's just, best practice like that's not because you're so clingy and controlling that's because kids should not keep secrets from their parents right at all whether it's something they see on the internet or something that they have a question about at the other parent's house yeah like when we encourage kids to keep secrets from another parent that is setting your child up to be evasive the older that they get or to be avoidant like rather than letting mom know that I did this thing that she disagrees with, or I broke a rule, let's hide it or let's not mention it. And then they're like out there trying to navigate a world without any parental guidance because they've been taught that keeping secrets is appropriate or you better not tell your mom that because she's, you're going to be in trouble. She's going to be mad. She's going to take it out on me. And now this kid is in this role where they're trying to protect the one parent who did something wrong. Yeah. And that just shouldn't be put on the kid. Like if if a parent does something that upsets the other parent, like don't make the kid either keep it from them or be the one that tattles on you, like own up to it. And if you, at the end of the day, don't want your co-parent to know about it, then you probably shouldn't do it. Right. Like if it's too much of a hassle for you to convey it appropriately to your co-parent, then make the choice. Like if it's that much of a hassle, I better not do it and move on. But I, I hate that makes me upset to think of a six-year-old being told to keep something from mom. We're not talking about, let's not tell her her birthday gift. Right. You know? Yeah. It was, it was something, and it was, to me, it wasn't even a big deal. The thing don't tell mom. It was like that he gets a nine or 10 o'clock bedtime at dad's house. When at my house, he gets an eight o'clock bedtime. He gets Mm -hmm. an eight o'clock bedtime at my house because he has school in the morning. When you're at Mm -hmm. dad's, you don't have school. I don't care what time you go to bed. So it, that was, part of the irritation, everything that you just said, I, I felt, and it was, so now anytime my son says, can I tell you something? My response is always, you can tell me anything. I want that ingrained into that kid. You can tell me anything. And I have appropriate responses when he tells me something that he did that was wrong. You know, I don't jump down his throat about it. It, you know, he, he feels comfortable and safe with me to tell me things. And I think that that's better down the line. I agree. I agree. Mm. 
Wow. So I think you have a book. Did you want to? Oh, yes. Oh my gosh, I totally (laughs) forgot about it. So um, I do, I have three different books that I've written. And the first one, it was from 2013. And I'm going to, I think I have it here. And it's called Better for Better Behavior Ages 2 to 10. This is a great resource for parents who have kids within that 2 to 10 age range and they want some really common sense strategies on how to communicate with your kid, how to have elicit listening behavior, some, you know, how to give natural or logical consequences, just understanding why kids misbehave and what we can do to help them make better decisions. I also have a book that came out right before COVID started called Adolescence a Parents Guide. And this, of course, is geared more towards parenting strategies um, for the teenager. Mm-hmm. And it starts, you know, looking at kids who are about nine, 10 years old, and as they transition through adolescence, and then all the way to early adulthood. And this book is written where it's more kind of some general themes we see developmentally in kids through the teenage years. And then my newest book, which is um, published, which has been published in um, August of 2021, is called The First Time Moms, wait, what is it? First Time, <laughs> I'm like reading it awkwardly. I'm like, what is it called? Um, First Time Moms Toddler Discipline Handbook. And um, it really has a lot of practical advice and suggestions for those parents who are navigating kids' childhood as they transi- transition from infancy into toddlerhood. And it talks about ways that you can support your kids behaviorally and developmentally and emotionally, but also how to be mindful of yourself as a parent and taking care of yourself so that you're equipped to manage those challenging toddler years. And there's a section in the back that I really love, and it's kind of like a question and answer where we had some really common questions that parents ask, like, what do I do when my kid's naughty in a restaurant? What do I do when my mother-in-law who watches my kids sometimes completely goes and contradicts what our parenting strategies are, things like that, so that we can talk not only about the strategies, but how to apply them in a real life set- setting. So um, I'm, I just got the proof for this book yesterday. It's super adorable. I'm very pleased with um, how they presented it. So, and all of these can be found on Amazon. And if you just go to Amazon and you type in Tara Egan, E-G-A-N, you're going to find these resources and then you can pick the one or, you know, a couple of them, depending on the ages of your kids, that's right for you. Yeah. So definitely going to check out the second one just because that's my son's nine. So I'm, you know, ready to kind of thinking about the teenage years. And, and it was so funny last night. Um, he, I don't remember what happened, but uh, he asked me for something. I handed it to him and he looked at me and he goes, what? And I'm like, okay, <laughs> what's Where that, that from? load of, of yeah. uh, attitude come from? And he immediately went, I'm sorry for the attitude, mom. I'm just, I'm upset right now. Aww. And, and I said, well, do you want to talk about it? He, or I said, do you, wh- why are you upset? And he goes, I'd rather not talk about it right now. <laughs> like, Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, and, and I knew what he was upset about and, um, but it's it, the, that interaction has been, you know, is a model of how we interact together because I'm not perfect. I snap at him and then he he'll get a look on his face and I'm like, I'm sorry, I snapped at you. I X, Y, Z is going on. 
you know? And so he's learning that. And, and when you have that ability to do that, when you develop that as a habit of response to your behaviors that you wish you weren't exhibiting, they start doing that too. Like, Oh, for sure. They imitate how, you know, you talk to them and how you talk about other people. Mm. And I think in all the books that I've written, there's been content about that of, I call it nurturing communication. Mm -hmm. Like what can you do to be communicating clearly and directly with your kids? Even if you're, even if they're in trouble and you're giving a consequence, there's, you know, there's scolding your kid or shaming your kid or, and then they're saying, Hey, like, this is clearly tough for you. And you're having a hard time with this. And like, this is how I'm going to support you. And sometimes a way that we support kids is by having them feel the consequences of their behavior, just like we as adults do. If we're rude to our boss and we get written up and a, a note's written in our file, like sometimes that happens and it's a consequence and it's unpleasant, but the, the purpose behind it is to make sure that there's instruction on how to communicate more effectively and take accountability for a mistake we made. And that can be a very nurturing response to kids, depending on how it's presented and communicated. So that's definitely something I stress in all the books that I've written about, like how to have those conversations with your kids where you're able to set appropriate boundaries and and remain in the the position of authority, but communicate in a way that they can really learn from and still feel respected. Yeah. I I know that this is like asking you to pick a favorite child, (laughs) but of the three books that you've written, is there one that's your favorite? Hmm. I feel like I just gave birth to this new one and I don't quite know it yet, if that makes sense. Oh, for sure. (laughs) Because they're all, you know, like when you read them, you hear my voice, you know, like writing comes easily to me. It's very much um, the, the publishers and the editors that I've worked with have been very responsive to making sure that everything I write is like, from me using my voice. So a lot of it, it really depends on your age. I would say that, hmm, it's, I would say it's either between the first one and then this new one. Okay. Those two are probably my favorites. The um, adolescent one I also love, but I feel like there's times I think, Oh, I wish I had more space allocated to, additional topics. Mm. So there could be a volume two in my future um, because there's just so many issues that are relevant to teenagers and their parents. So I think if to me, if there's anything I could change about that book, it would just be having more topics. And when you plan out a book, you know, you have a budget as far as the number of words, the spacing, you know, like what topics you're going to cover. So I feel like I was true to that format and I feel good about it, but there's, there's all sorts of topics that could be talked about. Yeah. And, you know, I always want to give more information, not less. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I could geek out with you all day on the writing no. and the, the coaching and the talking about this. Um, and so I don't even know how long we've been talking. It feels like a, a minute. <laughs> Well, you know, if your listeners, you know, have any questions or they have a comment, you know, I really encourage them to reach out and and let you and I know if there's something they want to hear more about, because I've been in this business for a long time. I have so much clinical experience as well as experience being a parent. Mm -hmm. And I know on my podcast, you know, one day you'll thank me. I always appreciate 
comments from listeners to say, hey, can you talk more about this? Or this is a topic I haven't heard you talk about. Can you find a way? And like, we can find a way. Like we're doing this because we want parents to feel part of a bigger tribe and community. Right. And to provide information that's just so easily accessible. So yeah, parents can reach out at drterryegan.com, fill out that, the, con- the contact form, you know, and browse some of the the um, resources that are available. And if there's something that you just still feel like you have a question on, I mean, reach out. It can never hurt. I've had people, you know, reach out about books and I read your book and I have this question or how can I apply this to my kid? Mm -hmm. I love those emails. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I was going to ask you, uh, how can people find you? But you said Dr. Tara Egan, E-G-A-N. Yep, Dr. Tara Egan. Yep. Yeah, and I would assume your books are on uh, linked there, at least. Yes. The newest book, and I know we're recording this, you and I are recording this in July, and it's not going to be posted for a bit. But this newest book is coming out for... um, I don't know what you want to call it, like the e-version or the Kindle version is coming out on August 3rd. And then the hard copy version is on August 17th. So by the time people listen to this episode, they're going to be able to find it right on Amazon and order it. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, and I also have some good resources on my website as far as freebies that parents can access. There's some online courses that parents can do. And then of course they can opt to work with me one-on-one um, and I, and I work with coaching clients all across the United States. Yeah. So if somebody's in a different time zone, like we work it out so that it can be a, a convenient time for both of us. So I really enjoy that work. It's hugely satisfying. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, you're impacting not only, you know, parents, but children as well. And, and that was a big reason. I know a lot of people that like to work with kids and, And my thought on it was like, yeah, you can work with kids and it does make an impact in their life. But what if you got a hold of their parents? Mm -hmm. If you get a hold of their parents, then you're, you're changing them essentially from the inside out because everything that the parent is doing, they're imitating. And so when you're just working with the kids, they go home to a different environment and they're listening to something different. And yes, it working with kids is impactful. And I just, I felt the calling to work with the moms and you change your mom, you change the family, right? (laughs) Oh, for sure. And this morning I had a call, a new client call and the mom said, yeah, my kid had this really great therapist for a year. And, but her child was like in that age group between preschool and kindergarten, like just not even quite to kindergarten. And she'd be like, yeah, we would have three or four sessions where the therapist was working directly with the kid, but the parents weren't even in the mix. So I'm like, okay, so your kid is three or four. You have a play therapist that's working directly with that child, but it's not translating back to the parents and what they can be doing to reinforce the skills that your child is supposedly learning. Like how is a three or four-year-old going to generalize those skills to the home environment if the parents aren't in the loop and sending a really consistent message and feeling empowered themselves with new parenting strategies. Mm -hmm. So I know I get frustrated when parents call me and they say, I feel dissatisfied with a service because I wasn't included enough. And I'm still feeling like helpless as far as what to actually do when my kid's having a temper tantrum or they're refusing or they're aggressive. Like that's just a 
it's a horrible feeling to be a parent and feel powerless. And if you're single parenting and you don't have a co-parent to help you out, like it's even more stressful. So I definitely work with the parents and the children, and then also just look at the family as a whole. You might have two or three siblings in a family, and one of those siblings might be the catalyst for why mom or dad calls me. But like they have maybe a brother and a sister that we need to account, take into account too. Mm-hmm. So I just like, like, it's always the family is my client, but I may be doing individual work with just the parents or just one particular child. But the goal yeah. is to have that family function better, to have them get through their routines, treat each other with kindness, um, you know, just have an environment where everybody's working more as a team. You know, the parents yeah. are the leaders of the team, Yeah, but there's teamwork happening. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for all of this. I have a question in my mind I'm going to ask you off camera, and I'm not happy for for another episode, depending on how that question gets answered. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I think I have another topic for us. So, um, but thank you so much for everything today and for uh, giving us your time and and pouring into our listeners. Well, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So until our next episode, we have another episode coming next week. And um, in the meantime, I think you're supposed to like, subscribe and (laughs) comment and all those things. And yeah, like uh, Tara said, if you um, have a topic that you want us to cover, especially with her or any of the other guests that we've had, then uh, shoot us an email. And until next week, keep healing. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to Imperfect Mommying. It's time for us to step up and realize that our power is not in trying to shape our children. Our power lies in shaping ourselves into the people we want our children to model themselves after. Don't just do it for your kids. Do it for yourself. When you become a more self-aware, compassionate, and confident person, you and everyone around you benefit. For more information about me and my work, visit alishalyons.com. That's A-L-Y-S-I-A-L-Y-O-N-S dot com. See you next time. Views expressed on this program are those of the host, guests, and callers, and do not necessarily reflect the views of the station, its management, or advertisers. You're listening to Transformation Talk Radio.